this episode of The Interface, I speak with Katie Bedard, the new general manager of Amphenol IPC in Endicott, New York. At the time of this recording, she was still global product marketing manager for Amphenol ICC's mezzanine products. We talk about AICC's mezzanine products and their compression portfolio as the core technology. We talk about growing up in the historic town of Salem, Massachusetts, and dealing with the tourism rush, especially during the Halloween season. We talk about moving to Harrisburg, Pennsylvania early in the pandemic and how different life is there compared to the greater Boston area. And we really put a lot of thought and effort into her Desert Island album, book, and movie. And Katie blesses us with numerous additional recommendations. This is The Interface. All right, Katie. So, well, let's talk about your business. Let me hear from you as the global product marketing manager for Mezzanine Products for AICC. What is your business all about? So our business, we we use the term Mezzanine. I really prefer value add because essentially that is how our business operates. So when I train new sales team members, new FAEs that come on board, I tell them, look at our business is comprised of different form factors. You have a traditional two-piece mezzanine connector. So you're you're mating two separate halves together. So you've mm-hmm. got two separate boards, you're mating them together. Our product set, when we became the mezzanine group back in January, 2017, our two-piece connectors are SMT and BGA attached. So essentially your connectors are running through another heat cycle in order to attach to the board. So that's one type of form factor in our our product set. Our core technology is called compression technology. Mm -hmm. And if I were to explain it, I'm going to show you a visual here, but I'll I'll try to explain it for the podcast itself. You have a contact and imagine the contact looks like the letter C. When you're compressing the the two ends of the C together, Mm You're, you're creating an electrical connection there. It basically smushes and, the top and the bottom of the C. Yes. In yes. less elegant terms, yep, you're, you're compressing, you're, you're kind of squishing it yeah. together. And you've got, you can see the visual here, but there's a little bit of, of give, right, in right. order to get there. So compression technology, it's really our core technology. So the, the product type CLGA, C-Stack, it's chip-to-board and it's board-to-board interface. And that that type of now the example that I just showed you, Chris, that's a 400x yeah. uh, exploded yeah. 3D printed contact, which again I think is just a great visual. I wish everyone could see it um, to show just how the the compression technology works because you're essentially taking those two ends and and connecting them together. That type of technology is very flexible. We have contact travel lengths from one millimeter all the way up to about six millimeters. So mm-hmm. fairly short in the height standpoint, let's say. Yeah. The traditional two-piece connectors that I was just talking to you about, those range from four millimeters all the way up to 42 millimeters. So when you look at our portfolio in total, we go all the way down from one millimeter all the way up to 42 millimeters. So you have a ton of flexibility from a traditional mezzanine connector form factor standpoint. So coming on to that, the additional value add pieces that we offer in our portfolio are being able to take our connectors 
or even competitor connectors mm -hmm. and putting them on a flex assembly. Mm. So again, yeah. a flex, you're joining two different boards together. You've got, you're essentially jumping a connection, right? Right. And we also have cable capabilities as well. So our portfolio, even though we're considered mezzanine and we are mezzanine, right. I tend to err more on the side of, from a training perspective, we're really value add. Our customers are coming to us with a problem mm -hmm. and we're working with them to develop a solution. And that could be with a traditional two-piece mezzanine connector or again, right, our core technology is the compression technology, which allows us to pick from uh, an array of contact pitches, lengths, and housing, right? So we custom design that housing to fit the solution. Right. So, so it's it's wide ranging. <laughs> sure. So you could do anything from someone comes in and needs a connector. Fine, we can do that. But we'd much prefer to work with you to see how maybe we can solve a, a larger system need that you have um, with customizing the connector, putting it on a flex or on a cable um, and really yeah. maximizing the effectiveness of this. Correct? Yes, yeah. absolutely. So from from a marketing type perspective with our group, again, very highly customized from a solution standpoint, we're unique within the AICC organization where we have dedicated salespeople. So they report into Dan Barrett, our general manager, and they essentially work alongside myself and my product management team to drive the business. So from that standpoint, because it is custom, our approach to the market is very opportunistic. So our customers are coming to us, they have a problem. We say, great, we work with them um, to develop that solution. So we have high volume um, solutions, we have lower volume solutions. Mm -hmm. It's quite a mix. Yeah. Um, and we are, we are a global organization. So we're building these products within the US, we're building them in Malaysia. Uh, we're building them in Mexico and um, China now as well. So we've really spread out our reach from a manufacturing standpoint, which our customers really like because especially yeah. with this past year and continuity of supply sure. and just supply chain in general, not going to lie, I actually started Christmas shopping already because I'm so <laughs> panicked about, am I going to get it in time? Yeah. So it's it, for us, we're really lucky where for our core technologies, we have the capability to build in multiple sites. And that's, that's really an advantage for us, um, especially dealing with today's uh, challenges. Okay, couple questions, because I am not super technical. If anyone's listening to this show, they know that. Um, I, I really <laughs> I'm put, not either. I'm, I, I really I'm not butcher my way by trade. So <laughs> first question that I have on this is, why do they call it mezzanine connectors? When I hear mezzanine, you know, I think of, you know, the mezzanine in Gillette Stadium for a Patriots game, right? <laughs> so is it basically the same concept as a mezzanine section in a stadium to a connector? It is so uh, I'm trying to think of the best way to respond to that. Cause my first thought when you started talking about Gillette stadium is also, if you go to a concert hall for yeah. like a show or a concert, there's usually a mezzanine section. And that right. section is usually up above, right? You've got the floor seats yeah. and then you have up above, which honestly I like a little bit better because you can actually see a bit more. Yeah. Um, maybe it's just because I'm getting older, but I've been to so many concerts where I'm just like in the front yeah. that uh, I don't, I can't handle it anymore. And especially in a COVID era, I, I'm not, I'm not comfortable going to a concert yet. <laughs> I digress. Yes. 
from but from a mezzanine perspective, I guess the best way you're you're essentially joining two boards, right? You're uh, I wish I could show an example, but you're you're using mezzanine almost everywhere, right? From from a board design standpoint, and what we've what myself, my team, our sales team has tried to do. Typically, mezzanine connectors are almost an afterthought because a, a customer is starting off with a traditional backplane design. Yeah, yeah. And again, I'm speaking from like an IT data comm space. So they're working on the guts, right, of how that board is going to look out or look like. And then they're thinking about, okay, so what are option cards or what are, I guess option card is the best way to put it. So mm-hmm. how do we at least be able to design and offer to our end customers solutions that you're going to get additional bandwidth. You're going to be able to have those option cards that you can pick in place and decide whether or not you want um, that that extra uh, bandwidth, the extra data rate, et cetera. The, um, our connectors are, are high speed and they're also very dense. Um, so again, that's it's so difficult to explain because if you've talked to anyone from the basics group within AICC, the traditional high-speed backplane group, they have mezzanine solutions as well. It's just different form factors. So traditional, like the high-speed backplane group is going to use press-fit solutions, where again, ours is SMT, BGA. You're actually going through an additional heat cycle when you process our connectors. So I think perhaps the best way to explain it is that with a mezzanine solution, you're essentially, you're, you're joining two cards, you're, you're joining two systems together and you can do it many different ways. I was half kidding with the mezzanine description. Although I admit (laughs) every time I hear mezzanine, that's always what I think of is a stadium or an arena, you know, the mezzanine uh, section of that. But so it's, it's hard for me to you know, because I'm not in the world you're in where you live it all day, every day. So I don't, I haven't changed sure. my, uh, I haven't shifted the paradigm in my mind yet around mezzanine. <laughs> no, but you, no, and you know what, you ask a really good question. And it's funny, after all these years of training the products, um, so before the role that I'm in now, I was the product manager for our two piece separable interface products, including Infinex and, and Chameleon and NextLev. And nobody has ever, so I've, I've been in product management for eight years now, and nobody has ever asked me, what is a mezzanine connector? Huh. So I, I'm going to have to think about how <laughs> I approach that differently now, especially when I think about all of the trainings I've done. And, you know, nobody's ever actually asked that question. I, yeah, I'm not sure if that's just, you know, a, a compliment or a criticism of my <laughs> mind. I don't know. <laughs> No, no, you, you've got me thinking this is good, right? So even after all of these years, it's, hey, that's a question that no one's ever asked. And maybe I, I do a better job of showing it visually. I am a visual person. Yeah. So trying to talk about it and explain our technology, it's a little difficult. So you've got me thinking now, Chris, that's good. Oh, okay. Well, good. I'm, I'm here to help, Katie. <laughs> we all need that everyone of course <laughs> of course you need someone that has no idea to come in and you start talking you go wait a minute what about why is it called this you know like a kid <laughs> i'm basically acting like a child you know like why is it called mezzanine no, no listen my my philosophy there's a reddit thread that i love and it's called explain like i'm five i'm and aware yeah i follow it so, yeah yeah it's great it, so it's some, great it, it's fantastic and I say that and I use it as an example here now because I think some people get offended, but quite honestly, 
the way that I operate, the way that I coach my team and maybe give unsolicited advice to others is look at you can only consider yourself an expert if you can take uh, a theory, a, a problem and be yes. able to explain it in terms that a five-year-old as an example could explain. So yeah. I've got to work on that because I don't think I answered your question very well. No, it's fine. It's very but, convoluted. But, but I like what you just touched on and I'm with you. I think it's a, it's incredibly hard to do that, right? Because you really have yes. to think through that concept. I've talked about it with a couple other guests too, about taking something that's very complex and, and very detailed and to somehow distill it down to, for example, a, a one, one slide on a PowerPoint presentation, right? Yeah. And to explain that in, 30 second, or in a 30-second elevator pitch, it's very difficult to do that because you really have to be on many levels an expert on what's going on to be able to, you know, who is it that said, was it, was it Jobs, I guess, or someone that he was a, a big fan of that simplicity is the uh, ultimate form of sophistication, Something like that. I might be yeah, butchering the quote. Or eyes. Yeah, so I, it, I I know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, I digress now. Now I'm the one digressing and going <laughs> off on a tangent. The other question I have, and I think you already touched on it, was, you know, just to get an understanding of where these mezzanine products are used just in the marketplace. Like what type of applications and systems are they used on? Sure. So from an application standpoint, it varies. We're uh, traditionally a IT data comm, um, I guess I guess you could say focus, but quite honestly, from when we became the mezzanine business unit almost five years ago, the focus of uh, myself and the sales team and even Trent Doe, our engineering manager, and ultimately Dan, is how do we expand our our customer list and how do we expand into new markets. So traditionally, um, if you think about IT Datacom, it's servers, it's storage applications. We've uh, spent quite a bit of time with some military applications. Mm -hmm. um, so we work with US-based, uh, obviously, military customers. Right. We assemble that product here within the US. Um, so again, that's another advantage of having manufacturing. The floors right downstairs from my office. So yeah. it's really nice to be able to run downstairs and say, hey, how are things going today? Um, stuff like that. Uh, so you've got, uh, let's see, we talked about IT Datacom, military. We're in medical applications as well. Mm -hmm. um, so you can uh, you know, look at, we, we do some thermocouples, believe it or not. So again, mm -hmm. value add, it's, mm -hmm. it's a product family. We don't typically go out and actively promote, but it is a capability that we have. Um, so we've got uh, that again, our compression portfolio fits in to so many different applications across the board. It's just really, once you understand the technology and its uses and its advantages, it can be used almost anywhere. And the fact that it's so short, for lack of a better term, you can use it in applications like laptops, uh, like workstations. It fits into let's say a radio um, system, it fits into uh, mobile applications, even ATE, so automatic test equipment, right? So it's just our, again, our compression portfolio, it's really our core technology. It's, it's really helped to build and shape the business and it's allowed us to be able to expand into new markets, flex assemblies. Another, so again, we can put compression on a flex assembly. 
when we train our new sales team members, we say, look at Flex as a great icebreaker because everybody is using a Flex assembly. Our advantage is we do the design, the test, we'll go out and source material and we assemble it. So we, we do everything in house, which is an advantage um, because our competitors will license a third party to do a right. lot of that work. Right. So essentially think of it as you've got one throat to choke, right? Like <laughs> you've got one person that yeah. you're working with on the design and we're, we're doing everything in house. So it's, it's, it gives us the flexibility to be able to provide really good customer service. But again, right. It's, if I go back to my original comment, Flex is the ultimate icebreaker because almost everyone is using Flex. Yeah. And for us, training a new salesperson, it's ask that question, see if you can get a print. Again, it's it's that particular type of business. If, if you're getting an existing Flex assembly and you're essentially just quoting it, right? It, you're going to be cost, it, you're competing on cost at that point. But if a customer has a problem, we're designing a solution. Um, we've got the benefit of look at where, you know, it, we're competing on the design aspect of it versus just cost. Right. right. Um, so our, our products are used in many applications where we've really done, I think personally as a group, a really good job of diversifying our customer space as well as our market space over the years. Because from a diversity standpoint, while we still play very heavily in the IT data com space, we've been able to spend more time in other markets and really grow and focus on those business opportunities. Uh, again, from our opportunistic standpoint, if one customer is coming to us with a problem, we're developing a solution, it gets us thinking saying, hmm, I wonder if other customers are having a similar challenge. And so when we meet with those customers, when we work with the AICC sales team, trying to coach them in terms of trying to find opportunities for our portfolio. Um, it's a great way to say, hey, let's let's understand your challenges. More often than not, we're seeing that there's a similar theme and we have the design knowledge in the background to say, okay, this this could you know be a solution for you. And again, all of it's custom. So it's, even if we're, thinking about a problem that might be similar to other customers in that market space, it's going to be a completely different design. It just gives us an avenue to pursue something, I guess you could say. So a lot of exciting technologies and, and sales that you're doing with your customer base on these mezzanine products. Uh, I'm sure it's been successful. I'm sure it will continue to be successful, but we'll shift away from the current day working environment right now. And okay. you and I talked a little bit before the call about you born and raised in Massachusetts. We'll go back to a young Katie. <laughs> so you, you were from Salem, Massachusetts. So tell me what it was like growing up in Salem because of obviously, you know, the first thing that people think of every time they hear Salem, right? So what was it like growing up there? Yep. So I will jump into that and just explain for those that may not be aware, but Salem Mass is known for the Salem Witch Trials, right. uh, which was very early on in America's uh, infancy, I guess you could say. And so for me growing up in Salem, and most of my family is still honestly back in Salem, I grew up immersed in history. Yeah. I, I mean, I grew up, I was very fortunate. We grew up by the water. I was 15 minute walk to downtown Salem, which if anyone's ever been there, there's the PBS Essex Museum. 
There's the House of Seven Gables. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, when I go back home and I go for walks with my dad, we're making the loop down Derby Wharf and, and the House of Seven Gables. So for me, growing up in the city, um, I love it. Honestly, I went to school there as well. So I went to Salem State University for both my bachelor's and my my MBA. Um, so I really have strong ties to the city. Yeah. I love Boston as well because for me it was just jump on a train and I'm there within 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. So for me, I grew up just steeped in history. I love history. I'm a nerd at heart. I I just I I was really fortunate to grow up where I did. You know, again, right, for people that don't know, so the mezzanine business is located um, just outside of the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area. Right. And pre-pandemic, um, I was coming down here uh, one week a month to be with my team. Um, and granted, normally I would be on the road uh, at least two to three weeks out of every month anyway. Mm-hmm. So when everything essentially went into lockdown, I had previously been talking about, okay, when should I make the move down here? Because I really feel that there's a lot more impact with me physically being down here with sure. the group. Now, granted, there's a lot that you can do with Zoom, with phone calls. And and one of my personal philosophies is always making sure even if I wasn't physically in the building, my team knew that I was there and I'm there to support them. So uh, honestly, for me, I was looking at the real estate market up north, which is crazy and it's still crazy. Yeah. But at the time I was worried that it would bottom out. And I just said, look at if I'm gonna make the move now, I might as well do it now. Yeah. Um so it was it was in the works, but for me it was a split decision of okay, I'm gonna do it. My house went on the market, sold within twenty four hours, <laughs> and I moved within three weeks. So yeah. it was just like boom, boom, boom. And um, I don't recommend moving in the middle or, I mean, that was more of like the start of the pandemic. It was only, it was in June of 2020. So yeah. we were a few months into it. It it was one of those things that I had to pack up my house myself. So I'm very grateful. I'm a minimalist by nature. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't have, I didn't have a lot, yes. uh, especially when I had a three week timeline. So I do miss being back home. I mean, again, yeah. my friends, my family, um, but I think for me, being down here, it, I actually had a little bit of knowledge of the area because I had been coming down here for so many years. Mm-hmm. And the people are just really nice. And for me, I'm not walking downtown to get anywhere anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what you get when you live in a city. Um, I've got to drive, but I have to say it's really nice not having to deal with the Boston area traffic because <laughs> it takes me 20 minutes to get from my house to the office here, whereas I lived, so Salem proximity wise is just a little north of Boston and I was working out of the Nashua office, so Nashua, New Hampshire. So with zero traffic, it's a 40, 45 minute drive. But with traffic, you're looking at like an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, so. Yeah, it it is amazing how how much that factors into a decision, right? (laughs) On where you work and where you live. Yes, no, it's, it's amazing. It's one thing someone, you know, a few months after I'd moved and said, you know, so how do you like it? And I was like, man, I'm a really aggressive driver. <laughs> like I did not realize like being from the Boston area, right? If you're not like inching your way out there, you're never going to get anywhere. Yes. But I realized 
I don't need to be as aggressive around here because people on the road are a lot nicer. Yeah. Um, but that, give that was the room. biggest change for me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> give you a little bit more room. No, I, you know, working, growing up in Long Island and then also working a little bit in Stanford, Connecticut. I mean, okay. aggressiveness is, you know, that's <laughs> expected. So if someone cuts you off, it's almost like, all right, you got me, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah, all right, exactly. you're not going to beep at them. But if someone's going slow and being complacent, that's when you just hear the the symphony of horns like move, you know, and so it's, there's yeah. no patience for that. So I'm with you. Yeah, I, I get yeah. it. But it is it is much more relaxing. But so this is the the first time you were outside of the Salem area then once you moved yes, to Harrisburg. Actually. Wow. Yep, so what yep. was that like? So, uh, so for me, it well, again, moving in the pandemic, it, it was a total shift change. So in Massachusetts, yeah. if you can imagine very much locked down even still when I left in June. I think at that point, like uh, hair salons were starting maybe to open up. Um, whereas when I came down here, everything was pretty much open. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Market Basket is the local grocery store up north and you'd have to wait in line yeah, because yeah. they had max capacity, right? And you're in a city, so you have a higher density, a higher population of people. Coming down here, I go to Giant, the grocery store, and there, you know, I could go in whenever I wanted. There was no line yeah. and uh, there weren't any directionals about you need to go up this aisle and down that aisle. Yeah, and yeah. So so for me, just culture-wise, I was like, okay, this is a little bit more normal, still going to be careful, but okay, there's, you know, it's different. I like to, to do a workout called Pure Bar mm-hmm. and my accent probably came out. I tried not to, but... Um, <laughs> It, it's it's a you know boutique fitness type gym and it was happenstance because a brand new gym was opening up the week after I had moved down here. Perfect. So yeah. I did my two weeks of quarantine, jumped right back into it, which again, pre-pandemic, when you're traveling so much, it's hard to keep up a routine of, of working oh, out. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so so for me it was great because I felt safe. It was brand new. They followed all these uh hygiene protocols. And then I was also able to meet people in mm. the gym class uh, because if I hadn't had done that, I would have been, you know, I'm in the office, I have my friends in the office and then I just go home. Right. Sure, so, sure. so it, it was one of those things that it, it was a little bit of a split decision. I'm glad that I, I made it. I've grown a lot as a person individually being able to do that as well. And then for me, I don't like a lot of attention and I probably would have had a hard time if my friends and family were like, we're going to throw this big party and everything. So for (laughs) me, it was like, it was a little bit easier. It wasn't as stressful, I guess you could say, where it was like, nobody can really see each other right now. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep up my, my family is big on FaceTime and Zoom. And um, so we're, again, technology is great, right? Our technologies enable us to be able to zoom right now yeah. and for us to you know have when you think about a mainframe computer from back in like the 60s and 70s it's on our phone now yeah, right it's, um, it's pretty yeah. incredible yeah it sounds like in a way the the pandemic kind of helped you with ease that transition right because it was like well That's we can't the- give you attention anyhow so we'll just kind of all right well we'll see you when we see you um and that's about it but you know we just you know, this will be out in a, in a couple of weeks, but we just had Halloween just to go back to Salem for a second. Did yeah, you kind yeah. of homesick to be there, uh, to not be there uh, during Halloween? <laughs> so 
October was always nuts. Yeah. And when I bought my place, again, close proximity to downtown, and that's where everything is. But it was also a way that I could go the back roads and I could finagle my way to get home yeah. without getting stuck in <laughs> the North Street traffic, as I like to call it. Yeah. Um, so for Halloween, this was, um, this is a sidebar topic, but That's my, okay. I like sidebars oh, here. My, uh, again, I'm very close to my family and my grandparents, my maternal grandparents lived a block and a half away from my house. Mm-hmm. So, um, again, I'm very fortunate that they're still here, um, with us. And so for every Halloween, I lived in a condo building and we couldn't have trick or treaters. And so for me, I would walk over to grandma and grandpa's house and I would help them give out candy. So A, for me, I yeah. was able to catch up with them. We'd have, you know, a quick little dinner. And then we got to have fun seeing the kids in their costumes. And sure. I got to participate and do the trick-or-treating. So I miss that piece of Halloween. Um, and of course, I my, my grandmother is really good with her iPad. So, you know, messaging, how many kids do you have today? <laughs> and uh, because we, we used to count it. Yeah. Our first year that we did it, because we did it for about seven years, I think, before the pandemic hit and I moved. But uh, essentially, the first couple of years, we didn't count. And then we got really strategic. We were like, okay, we're going to keep track of it. We're going to see what the kids are gravitating more towards because I really like Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. So even me moving here to Harrisburg, I've got Hershey 30 minutes away. So it's deadly. Um, Between that and ice cream, I was never much of an ice cream eater, but the ice cream here is really good. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But in general with Halloween, I miss the interaction with my family that I was able to do. Um, I don't miss the people. I mean, oh my gosh, you could barely move. And if Halloween, so I think last year in 2020, Halloween was on a Saturday Mm -hmm. and it was a full moon. And so I'm not kidding. Like that is a major tourism (laughs) driver for the city, right? Yeah. Yeah. You couple all of that. And my, my brother is a, a, a police detective with the Salem force. So he, some of the stories he would tell us, it was just like, wow. Like when you're walking through the crowds, you know that there's always going to be some trouble, but yeah. man, there, there's just a lot. So I don't miss the people part of it. I do miss a little bit of the excitement. Yeah. Um, I miss the family piece of it. And sure. I got to tell you here, I have zero trick or treaters. So um, I just, I'm going to eat the candy myself. <laughs> <laughs> So it's very different from me going to like, you know, you've got almost 200 kids coming to your grandparents' door versus I got nothing. (laughs) Katie, we'll we'll wrap up with this, okay? We'll take you out of Harrisburg since you're already out of Salem and we'll put you on a desert island by yourself, okay? And I say to you, all right, you can bring with you one album, one book, and one movie. We'll start with an album. What album would you bring with you? All right, so you're setting the parameters because I was going to come to you. I have listened to some of the podcasts and say, okay, here's how I'm thinking about it. You, you can, um, it's a loose <laughs> interpretation, okay? Because some people can't pick albums, so we allow an artist, right? So it's, it's, so, it's your call. Okay, so, so let me just tell you this. I am hashtag millennial. So I have really spent the majority of my time being able to listen to music on previously my iPod and Mm -hmm. now I've got it on my phone. So if I was on a desert island and the way I'm envisioning this is that it's a couple of weeks vacation, maybe three weeks. And I'm 
or it could be longer. Who yeah, knows? It could be. But I'm also a planner and I guess you could say traveler extraordinaire. Okay. And so I never, I never leave without my external battery pack and sure. it's awesome. So I'm going to have that with me and my phone will be on and off, right? But I have my top 25 of all time playlist and it's something that I actually occasionally will refresh sure. on my iTunes or my Spotify. Yes. So if I look at my top 25, I'm all over the place to be honest. So I've got I've got a lot of EDM, so electronic dance music on uh-huh. here. So a lot of Kygo, some Sia, Neon Indian, Betty Hugh, Alesso. Some people are probably going to say, "What in the world is she listening to?" No, no, I'm um, familiar with some of that. Neon Indian. Uh, yeah. Yep, yep. yep, yep. Uh, Lord Huron is another one. I've got some Dua Lipa on here. And then I also look and um, I have the Allegro from Mozart's clarinet concerto. Yeah. It was the only clarinet concerto that he wrote. And if you haven't figured it out by now, I played the clarinet. I still play. It's been a couple of years, yeah. but the Allegro is the first movement in the concerto. And it's just, it is one of those things that I default back to just because I, I really love that movement of the piece. So I'm kind of... I'm all over the place. I've got Pablo Bender on here, some Coldplay. So top 25, only the ton- 25 songs that when I do like a, a play um, count, that's what shows up. And occasionally I I do update it. I know Kanye was in there for a little while, but yeah. he dropped out. So <laughs> Poor Kanye. But all right. So if you're looking at that list, right, and yep. one that pops out to you right away, what's the one song you're like, yeah, that's a good one. I know, I know they're all good, but one that you'd think of on a, on a desert island. So on a desert island, yeah. I really like, so the one that I have right here from Sia is called The Greatest, and it features, uh, I almost said Kendrick Perkins, who is a basketball player, but I think it's Kendrick Lamar. I can't read all of it yeah. right there. Yeah. But, uh, but so I really like the beat of that one. Okay. Um, I am a phenomenally bad dancer but i love dancing so if it was playing right now i'd probably be moving along to the beat would you look like uh, <laughs> elaine bennis in that seinfeld episode you know not as bad but i know exactly what that is and i thumbs. can totally oh yeah with the thumbs yeah. and just the really like herky jerky i can do that yeah. um <laughs> i mean my signature move is the uh shopping cart so oh. that tells you my my level of uh dance <laughs> i'm impressed if only this were a video podcast, we could demonstrate this. Oh, yeah, that and the fishing line. Fishing line, hook, line, and sinker. I mean, if nobody's on the dance floor, you're always going to find someone who's willing to, to you know, be the catch, right? Yeah, so, boy, I'll tell you what. If you add the, the mashed potato and the Charlie Brown, you're all set. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so let's move on to a book. How about a book? What book would you bring with yep. you? So... This is this is just a really cruel exercise, honestly. Because a, I love. I know that's why I like it. We just talked about. Look, I would have a hard time doing this. So I am also a bibliophile. Um, I I love to read, and I was resistant against an e-reader for years. Mm -hmm. And for my birthday in December 2018, I got a Kindle, and ever since then, I will sing its praises. My dad still has it converted over yet. But so on my desert island, I would bring my Kindle because if I need to charge something, I have my external battery charger with me. My all-time favorite book is a very traditional, I guess you could say. So it's To Kill a Mockingbird by Hopper Lee. I truly always love that book. Um, I actually haven't read it in a couple of years. 
there's a handful of books that I do read every year, yeah. um, but I haven't read that one in a couple of years. Some more recent favorites, though, because I'm going to give a couple out there in case people are interested. Yes. Um, so, um, and also, I mean, I don't know if we do show notes, but if anyone was interested, they can reach out. I have a Goodreads account, so I actually keep track of what I read now Okay. Um, because I have the Kindle. But I read The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, so this is a fiction book, mm -hmm. uh, last week on vacation. So that one was really good. So I guess fun fact for everyone, I've been trying to read one book a week since I got my Kindle, and I've been successful in doing that. Wow, that's um, a commitment. It is yeah. a commitment. Yeah. Um, I'm a fast reader, um, and when I can't sleep, instead of getting on my work email, I read. Yeah. <laughs> so a personal enrichment, but Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, um, so the founder of Nike, right. is actually a fantastic book. I read that earlier this year, and it's I think it applies well to the Antonal model and the entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. And uh, it was just very, very interesting to read it from his perspective. And I think last year I read Robert Iger's most uh, recent biography about his time at Disney. Disney and, right, right. and this particular book, I think it might have been his second, but it was more about how with all of the acquisitions that they made, mm -hmm. uh, how they kind of blended everything together under the Disney umbrella and the trials and tribulations of doing that as well. So I was actually really impressed by his book too. So um, those are just a couple of more recent favorites. A Man Called Uwe, Ove. I, my Swedish friends are going to have to correct me, but that is <laughs> a beautiful yeah. fiction book that if anyone was looking for something, I'm a really harsh critic. So a book on Goodreads only gets five stars if I have a real like emotional attachment to the right. characters. And that was that was definitely one of them. That I read that a few years ago, but that that's hands down an excellent book as well. All right. I love it. Katie's book recommendations. <laughs> this is fantastic. All right. So we'll end with this one then. How about a movie? The movie. Okay. So I mean, you're I like reading a book a week, so I don't know how much time you have to watch movies. However, if you had to pick well, one to bring with you. So if I had to bring one with me, um, and full disclosure, I watch a lot of like TV, so thank God for streaming. Yeah. Um, but movie-wise, there's a movie that came out about five years ago called Loving Vin Vincent, excuse me. And this is Vincent Van Gogh. And okay. if you haven't already figured, I love history, I love museums, I love to read, just yeah. nerd all across the board, which is fun. I love it. Um, I embrace it and I... I hope that some of my enthusiasm is coming through in the podcast. But Absolutely. Yeah. Love, so Loving Vincent is the only movie that's actually fully painted. So mm -hmm. they hired hundreds of artists. And essentially the storyline without giving too much away is his character. So Van Gogh was very big into portraiture. And mm -hmm. so he would paint his friends. And they're trying to figure out what happened to Vincent he couldn't have done this to himself, but oh yes, you know, he wasn't in a good mindset, that type of thing. So it's really, it's a very beautiful uh, movie. You have to watch it on a, a big screen. Don't watch it on, you know, the airplane movie because it's really quite beautiful. It's yeah. really a work of art. And the storyline for me, I've always loved Van Gogh. And um, it was just really interesting to see how the writers incorporated his art. Um, into a movie and you you're trying to figure out like what actually happened and there's actually a lot of debate historically about 
did he actually commit suicide or was it something else? And it, it's just a really interesting, very beautiful movie. Well, I can honestly say that nobody that I've asked these questions to has put more thought and effort into these <laughs> answers than you have. This is fantastic. I love what you've done here and giving recommendations. We should, you know, make this a side podcast like once a month or something is, you know, Katie's picks. This is I, great. So, I, I, uh, I, I did think about this. I guess maybe one of my strengths and or weaknesses is that sometimes I tend to overthink, but I've always loved reading. I got away from it for a bit with work and school and everything. And um, I'll tell you, for anyone resisting an e-reader, it is a game changer because yeah. being able to bring just one thing on a plane with you, I was pre-pandemic in China for two weeks and I was able to read three books during that time period between flights and downtime and everything. I would have never brought three books yeah. with me. And yeah. I'm, I'm a big advocate of the library. So it's a great way for you to, you know, support your local system and not, I mean, I still have a lot of books at home, but I don't have as many because I'm leveraging the library. Katie, thank you so much for doing this today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you, Chris. It was, I was so excited and honored to get the invite. So thank you for your time.